Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Neutral, where Jack and I are cards partnered with each other in Commander Legends. I am a teamer creature that cares about trample. I am an enchantment that is colorless. <laughs> Put me on the spot here, okay? It worked. It worked. I am a colorless enchantment. I have partner. Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The Neutral, the show where we discuss and debate the D&D alignments of fictional characters. My name is Avery. I'm Jack, and we are real people with real opinions. I got a 20-sided die and a list of characters to talk about, and we're just going to jump right into it. All right. That's a natural 20. Let's talk about Dr. McCoy. All right. All right. Here's my disclosure. I know McCoy mostly through osmosis. Uh, I did watch the one with the whales recently, and I know like a fair bit about him, but I'm not as big a Star Trek fan as Jack is. Yes, I grew up watching Star Trek. I have seen almost all of it. Um, I'm still catching up on DS9, but that's fine because Dr. McCoy's not on DS9, uh, to my knowledge. Um, So, Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy is the chief medical officer and moral heart of the Starship Enterprise. Uh, He is a divorced uh, older man. Uh, I think he's like in his late 30s, early 40s by the time the show starts. Um, He is a very cynical uh, medical professional. Um, He's very realistic about his chances out in space, about what space can do to you and uh, why doctors are necessary in space. Um, He very quickly establishes himself as sort of the id of the series. He is always going to be the man who follows his heart, um, which is in direct contrast to Spock's super ego and uh, Kirk's ego. I hate Freud. Please do not send us email about how we're, we're, we're glorifying Freud. It's just a use as a, a trope term. Um, I honestly think that, uh, here's my hot take of the day. I think that using psychoanalysis as a literary or film analytical device is pretty useful because it's something that a lot of people in the world are aware of and therefore put into their films. However, using it as a device to psychoanalyze like real actual humans, not a fan. Yes. Um, both of us have opinions. Uh, so Dr. McCoy is um, Dr. McCoy is a member of Starfleet, which is a powerful spacefaring empire uh, that is uh, a part of the or a powerful spacefaring organization that is itself the military arm of the Federation, which is of course the the post scarcity socialist utopia that uh, the show creator uh, Gene Roddenberry envisioned. Um, McCoy himself is a uh, trusted member of the Starship Enterprise. He is oftentimes an advisor to Kirk far and beyond his role as the actual, like, chief medical officer of the ship. Um, and he does have a few episodes where he very nearly does leave the show to follow his heart, or to leave the ship, rather, to follow his heart, and ends up for one reason or another back on the show to maintain, back on the ship again, to maintain status quo, uh, because of course he is, he's a headlining member of the series. Um, but like there's an episode where he almost gets married because he thinks he's dying and he wants to spend his last uh, few months just like living out a a relaxing retirement. Uh, there's the one with the whales where he is constantly questioning whether or not Spock is, is ready to, uh, uh, to have all of their lives put on his shoulders again. Um, it's a very difficult position and he very much does seem at times like the only sane man on the ship. Those are capital letters, by the way. That's a trope, not a, 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 a like an accusation or anything. Um. So again, I don't know as much about him, but I think from what I know about Dr. McCoy, 
he's probably some variant of Nuka. And the reason I think that is because I, unless there's something I don't know about, and there might be, he basically always sort of defers to his captain's orders when Kirk is like, let's do this thing. He will offer his opinion, he will be contrary, but when it comes down to it, Kirk is his captain, Kirk is his friend, and he's going to obey him. Um, I think he's gotta be good aligned because he just cares so much about Bull. Like, I don't think that's in question. I would say neutral because I think unless, again, unless I'm wrong, and there are moments where he insubordinates for the good of the people on his ship, then I would say that neutral good. See, I'm inclined to agree with you, but I did get there in a very different way. Tell me. So I, at first, was thinking he's lawful good. I, it's hard to be a member of Starfleet and not follow the law, as evidenced by the fact that there are quite a few court-martials in the movies. Um, and then I thought to myself, because he's a doctor, and being a doctor requires following a lot of medical procedure. It requires being very um, precise and, and, and thorough with your examinations and with your surgeries and all that. But then I thought to myself, how does he take that and put it somewhere else? And by that I mean, like, how does he enforce the rules? How does he choose to to express lawful behavior? And the answer is very chaotically. Um, he's constantly the person in the show, in the original 1960 TV show, he's constantly the person pointing out injustices. When something is going wrong, he's the one saying, are we really gonna walk away from these people that need us? And then in the, in the movie that we just saw, the one with the whales, he very much breaks time rules by passing a pill to let an old lady grow a new kidney just because she's complaining that she's in pain and he's like all right uh here's a pill grow a new kidney talk to me if it doesn't work uh and then like like he's breaking the rules to help people over and over and over again um and that feels incredibly chaotic to me so i think the fact that he's kind of in the middle that he's like he's joined a lawful organization he's a doctor he definitely went through the procedure to become a lawful person but he still expresses it in very chaotic ways, I think that does make him chaotic good. Or, sorry, neutral good. That's a really, uh, that's a really interesting thought. Um, I, see, because I approached it in the sense that's like, he will always, you know, do the right thing, but he'll do it in a, uh, in a way that doesn't necessarily burst the status quo too much, you know? Like, he will say, are we really gonna walk away from this? But he will say it to Kirk to convince Kirk to make the call because he hopped it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's funny that we both approached this from exact opposite directions and, and got the to the same spot. Yeah. All right. Uh, Bones McCoy, neutral good. Okay. All right. Let's do character number two. John Mulaney. Oh, so, I'm so excited for this. So we know, we know that John Mulaney is a real human being. Yes. But we also know that his persona is cultivated for stand-up. Yes. And there's a distinct possibility that things that he says are exaggerated, uh, things that he does are played up. John Mulaney, when he does stand-up, like anyone who performs, is playing a character of John Mulaney. It's like how, um... It's like how Jerry Seinfeld has a TV show where he plays himself, Jerry Seinfeld, but that is a character created in his stand-up bits. So anything we say about John Mulaney, the man on stage, should not reflect John Mulaney, the man with the pen writing the script for his comedy. Yes, please do not sue us. We would very much, we, we are both broke and we do not have money. It's true. Um, so John Mulaney. Is a chaos agent. <laughs> John Mulaney is a stand-up comedian. Yes. Uh, his bits often deal with his childhood 
childhood in Chicago with his parents who were both lawyers. They are both lawyers. And his uh, experience as a former like blackout drunk alcoholic. And then his experience with his wife, Anna, uh, who he does not name in his comedy, but uh, he does once fair. Uh, But his experience with his wife and just like interacting on the street with people. He's a very, the, the character that he portrays is one of a very anxious, socially nervous, uh, slightly confused by the world kind of person. He once described himself as when I walk down the street, it's like watching someone who's running for mayor of nothing. I need everyone to like me so much. And uh, that's uh, John Mulaney's sort of character energy. I really think the character of John Mulaney is a pure being of chaos. Um, I think that uh, I think that he is sort of like a trickster god in in his observations of the world. Like when when he describes things that he does in the real world, it is almost invariably I am observing other people being normal and pointing out how weird that is. Uh, and I will give you examples of what I mean. Um, there is the bit about how he's a terrible driver and how everyone is looking at him and he's causing chaos. There's the bit about how when he is hunting for a house, his uh, his real estate agent is a perfectly normal woman and he's like, yeah, you're being very weird. There's the bit about how um, when he is talking to the air pe- airport people, they are being perfectly normal. And like he's making these observations that nobody else makes in the real world, but they're all real world things. And he's talking about them like they're so bizarre. Oh, the, um, the bit about how the world is run by robots. Like he points out these incredibly normal things that happen and then describes them in such a way that you're like, yeah, that is super weird. And that feels very chaos to me. So I actually think that John Mulaney is true neutral. Okay. And it comes from uh, John Mulaney, the character. Okay. Again. And it comes from the nature of stand-up comedy, I okay. think. Because you just, you said the word observer. And... John Mulaney, the char- the stand-up character, by the nature of stand-up, a lot of it is watching the world around you and not necessarily participating much. John Mulaney's interactions with people in his narratives seem to mostly be observing and maybe occasionally interacting with. Like encouraging them to go on. Yeah, like when... I say more right Yeah, now. like when his mom, uh, when he asks his mom if he's ever seen, she's ever seen a ghost, and he says yes. Uh, she says yes. He says, say more right now. He just keeps going, you know? Um, Over on the bench. A lot of his, like, chaos behavior was either described as when he was a child or when he was drinking. Both of which I would argue, uh are, and this is gonna sound so mean, are impairments to align. Children are goblins. Like they're just, they're always chaotic. All children are chaotic and you can't hold that to their adulthood. And you also can't hold that against them. No, of course. I'd like to point out real quick that both of us, me and Avery, have experience in education. Like there's nothing wrong with being chaotic. It's just how you are as a kid, you know? And as a, you know, when you're drinking, your inhibitions are lowered. So you don't really have as much of a code. So you are uh, kind of like damaged in the way that we talk about damaged alignments. That's fair. Uh, but John Mulaney now, in his interactions with all, is a 36-year-old weirdo. He's mostly concerned with how people think of him. And that's not because of any, like, moral desire. He just wants people to like him so he's not uncomfortable. He is an outside observer interacting with the world a little. And for that, and again, it's, I think it's the nature of stand-up comedy, especially with John Mulaney's sort of observational humor position, means that he 
is very much in this position of true neutrality as a sort of outside but not quite outside observer. I think you've convinced me. I think that's a very well put argument. All right. So before we uh, before we move on, uh, I want to ask you. I'll put you on the spot right now. What is your favorite John Mulaney bit? Oh oh oh. Um. Oh, that's tough. Uh, it's either the comeback kid and the whole story about uh, uh, Bill Clinton, or it's the um the uh the bit about how he's at his friend's house during that party the the McNamara's house mm. uh because the way he closes jokes are so like thorough and like like he'll hit you he'll hit you again he'll give you a little bit of a uh, 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 t- some time to and then he'll just like one two punch you and you're like ah there it is and be like because that's the one thing you can't replace and you'll be like oh my god that's the funniest thing I've ever heard I uh I think my uh favorite has to go to the bit about the best buy rewards card oh my god I think there's just something really delightful about every part of that from the uh from the little bit of hope in the Best Buy Rewards guy's voice to Anna's Jesus Christ fully walked away over to the laser printers and just stood there Blair Witch style to the like drink slam down the drink you'll never get that Best Buy Rewards card honestly I could recite John Mulaney bits word for word until the cows come home when we like when we make these comments about John as a stand up character we do it very much out of love they come from a place of absolute Absolute adoration. You need to understand. We love this man so much. I'm gonna tweet at him when this episode comes out. Like, please listen to this. We want you to like us. And he won't. And he will not. But that's fine. He's a very busy man. He is. I'm sure he's got a lot of writing importance to do. All right. John Mulaney. True neutral. All right, number three. I already rolled a natural 20 today. 15. Troy and Abed in the morning. Uh, so Troy and Abed are from Community. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are two people that are part of this study group that uh, sort Takes of- Takes over the school. Yes, but is the core cast of community. Uh, Abed is a probably autistic, uh, it's addressed and referenced loosely but never confirmed, uh, Arabic skinny young man who wants to make films, Mm -hmm. who mostly uses TV and movies to sort of relate to people uh, because he has trouble understanding, and he admits this, he has trouble understanding the nuances of people's behavior and relationships and things like that, so he needs to view them through a contextual lens. I hate bottle episodes. Wall-to-wall facial expression and emotional nuance. I can't handle it. Uh, everyone was, uh, everyone was being very quiet and avoiding eye contact. I mirrored the behavior. Uh, so Abed is sort of weirdly the, the moral center of the group in a big way. Like he is sort of the, the... I wouldn't, I want to, I want to interrupt here for a second, for a second. I don't think Abed is the moral heart of the group. I think taking care of Abed is the moral heart of the group. He himself does not say most of the moral things, but the people who like care about him will look to him for sort of a, a, a moment of like that gut punch of like, oh man, I can't do that to Abed. Yeah, if Abed is hurt or wounded by a situation, then everyone else knows they did the wrong. Yeah. Troy, meanwhile, is a, a high school football star who faked an injury uh, to not go to football school for football uh, and ended up at community college because of that. Uh, he is, he, he starts the show as sort of a jock-like archetype and eventually starts to bond with Abed and embrace his very, very nerdy act nature. He's not the brightest guy, but he's got a very large heart 
apart uh, and ultimately ends up leaving to become an air conditioner repairman. But until then, Troy and Abed are inseparable. They are best friends. They love each other and they form a dynamic that there's a reason we're talking about the two of them together. Yes. I thought he left to sail around the world. I thought he went to the, he went to the AC repair school. Yeah. And then he became king of the air conditioner repair school, but he stayed on campus until he inherited a ton of money and <laughs> took a boat trip around the world so that the actor could go be Childish Gambino. LeVar Burton was also there, Yes, right? LeVar Burton was on the boat with him. Yes, okay, cool. Um, I have been re-watching episodes of Community, but I haven't been, like, watching them in order because a lot of them are bad. I memorize things and then forget about them. <laughs> so... Here's the question is, are we, when we're talking about Troy and Abed's alignment, are we talking about individually Troy and Abed or are we talking about their alignment as a pair? Like the alignment of the group? Almost certainly the latter. Yeah. Um, because we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have put them on the, on the list uh, together unless we were, wanted to talk about them together. And I think it makes for a more interesting conversation because it's really easy to pick out one person's alignment. We've been doing it for some time now. Um, but when we talk about like the relationship between two characters and how that manifests in the real world, I think that can ma lead to some, some interesting nuance. Yeah. Cause Abed's clearly true neutral as his role is Earth. Fair. And Troy is probably chaotic something. Yeah. Um, I'm probably good aligned cause he wants to... I don't even know if that's true. I think he's just kind of... I think he wants to be good aligned. Fair. Uh, I don't know if his actual actions are, are anything. Um, Alright, so let's talk about them as a group. Okay. Here's what we know about them as a group. Okay. They're very, very nerdy. Yes. They love to like play pretend together, build mm -hmm. blanket forts, uh, go into the quote-unquote dreamatorium and, pre and play pretend some more. Um, they are incredibly devoted to each other. They, you know, one of them will not abandon the other unless they absolutely have. I like football, but also I don't. <laughs> um, I almost want to put them as neutral good, and I know we've been doing a lot of neutral goods today uh but i really do think that uh their friendship as a whole between the two of them is so like pure and wholesome and and like well maintained that the the one or two times it ends up uh not working out is well for example um there's the episode that's a hilarious civil war parody um pillow fort one. the pillow fort episode yeah uh which is just some top-notch tv um and like like every time the two of them split for any length of time it ends up causing rifts between other people because other people are so devoted to the two of them and so like enraptured in their friendship that it causes issues. And I think that's the kind of thing that like you need to be, to be that good of friends, your friendship has to be neutral good. And I think my, I agree with you, but here's where I'm coming from with it. Uh, Abed is a good boy. He just is. Yeah. He's a good boy. He He's wants to help people and he wants to just Connect with people. love people and he wants to just have a, have a good like, like make everyone happy as much as he can and he has a lot of trouble doing it yeah. because he has trouble relating to people. Troy is really good at relating to people. He's charming, he's charismatic, but he's very, very lost directionally. Yeah. So I guess I sort of take back what I said about their alignments uh, earlier, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, <laughs> and so as a result, when they combine together, you get Troy's ability to sort of communicate and connect with people and Abed's desire to make everyone happy. And those two things together mean that they are neutral good, not just in the way they interact with each other, but in the way that they interact with the 
the world around them. Okay. They want to make, they want to help other people. It, I think paintball is a good place to talk mm. about it because Abed and Troy are always working together and they are always working to help their group or to do the right thing or even to save people sometimes. Um, they're the ones who lead the sort of collection of uh, people that help uh, Greendale in the second paintball episodes. Uh, I just watched all the paintball episodes. God, I love that show. It's so good. Uh, so I think the two of them together are a neutral good force. Like not only in the way they treat each other, which I don't think is actually as important here yeah. as the way they treat everyone around them. And the way those people treat them. Yeah. All right. Troy and Abed. Neutral good. Right. Try and Abed's new alignment. Okay, okay, let's do Regina George. I was really hoping I'd roll an 18, because, all, right, all right, that's fine. It'll happen. It'll happen when it happens. It'll happen. Let's talk about Regina George. Um, Regina George. Is a massive deal. Is the quote-unquote antagonist of the famous, wonderful film Mean Girls. Um, Regina George is the queen bee of the school, pun intended. Um, she is a uh, machine that is powered by rage and and and, and uh, power over other people. Um, she uh, is very much a stereotype in the sense that um, the way she treats her, her quote-unquote underlings and the way that other people treat her at school is the kind of thing that never happens at real high school. Like, they talk at the very beginning of the movie, like, I hear she does uh, 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 commercials in Japan, or I hear her hair's insured or something. Uh, like, that's not something people at high school talk about. Um, it's, it, it's, the movie itself is designed to be playing and joking off, off of these, these wonderful stereotypes of ours. Um, and, uh, at the end of the film, spoiler alert, I know the movie's like 20 years old at this point, uh, at the end of the film, she gets hit by a bus and, uh, eventually learns to get her anger out by playing lacrosse. Uh, and everything settles down and the peace is settled between the, uh, the, uh, main characters and the antagonistic group. Um, and it's a very, like, well-maintained and nuanced take of what it means to be in high school. Um. Regina George is a master manipulator. Yes. Regina George knows exactly what to say to people to either put them down or lift them up mm -hmm. as it. She uses that ability to make herself look bad in order to pin blame on the, the main character by doing the same incredibly cruel evil thing that her and her friends have been doing to other students to herself and then blaming it on the main character in order to make her look bad. So she knows this whole time that what she's been doing is incredibly cruel and that it would get them in trouble because she then uses it to get someone else in trouble. So I think Regina George, at least in my book, is pretty definitively lawful. She understands this system. She is able to maneuver within this system. And she has power now, but power in the system is tentative. And you realize this the minute Katie sort of starts to undermine her and diminish her status. It's because... Uh, it's, and the reason I say this is because we know that it's easy to not be lawful when you're in a position of lawful power, but in this case, power is social. It is a social law, but it is social power, which means it can be taken away just as easily as it is given, which means that she must always be effectively navigating the system. If she's ever exposed as not navigating the system, then she's done because there are rules 
that have to be followed. It just happens to be that she's the one who knows the rules the best and is therefore best able to use them. And she uses them to hurt other people and lift herself up. And that's pretty definitively lawful evil to me. I agree. I think she's an excellent uh, textbook lawful evil character. Uh, I think she's a textbook lawful evil character within the genre of like high school drama films. Um, I think you could lift up her character and drop her whole hog into like Fast Times at Ridgemont High, into The Breakfast Club, whatever you want to put it into, and she would be exactly the same. And I think that is a definite credit to uh, the way the character is written. Uh, and I think you are absolutely right about how, uh, about everything you said about her like position of power and how it can be taken away and how that means she has to navigate it properly. Um, and I think the most significant thing about that is that at the end she goes to lacrosse uh, and it's because the system that she had power in no longer exists. Mm -hmm. It was dismantled. So she found a new system where she could still have power and is able to effectively navigate it the same way she navigated the radically different system of quote-unquote girl world. And I will uh, uh, point out that at the end of the film, a new group of girls takes the power that the, the vacuum that they created uh, and it is looked on almost sadly. Like the, the, the protagonists and the antagonists who have made peace at this point, the, the you know, outcasts and the plastics, are looking down on the new plastics as like oh, oh, they took our place but like those poor girls, they have no idea what's in, it, what's, uh, in for them. And I think that is honestly like a really good internal growth for a lawful evil character. Yeah, it's that sort of realization that the system that she was in no longer works. Yeah. So she's moving into a new one to gain power that way. And she never really had any major reason to put down any of these outcasts. It was just like how she navigated the system to give herself power. And so, and like she had fun doing it, definitely. Yeah. But now that she's not navigating that system, she's doing a different, she's hurting people in different ways. Yeah. Uh, she can sort of make a tentative peace with those people. Not be their friends, but, you know, give them a little nod in the, the hallway. The, the metaphor I'm going to come up with that is an incredibly weird metaphor, and I apologize in advance for it, is the difference between being king of the jungle in prison and being a prison guard. On the one, in, on the, in the former position, you are in charge, but you are still beneath the people above you, and you only have power insofar as the social status of your system grants you that power through cruelty and enforcement of rules. But the moment you walk out of that building, you look at the people in there in a totally different light. You see them as like, you know, those poor caged animals. They they don't have any other system to, you know, in, in, in to interact with. Um, so before we, uh, before we end this one. And you can tell me that was a crazy thing to say. No, it made, it made sense to me. All right. So Regina George. <laughs> Lawful evil. Uh, thank you for listening. That's the uh, end of our episode today. We apologize if we've been a little all over the place for the last few episodes. It's been a weird week. We, honestly, we really like each other and we really like talking about stuff. And so things are just gonna happen yeah. in this podcast. You're my best friend. You're my best friend. All right. Uh, we have been We're Not Doing Batman Productions. If you are interested in contacting us, please email us at wndbproductions at gmail.com. That's, wait, no, bagels are dangerous productions at gmail.com. Remember that we always want to hear your questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions for future characters. Also, 
We've got a Patreon. I want to thank our patrons Sam Morrison and Lena P for making sure that this podcast is possible. If you want to hear episodes early, you want to hear uncut versions of episodes, or you want to get your requests directly on the die, please absolutely back us on Patreon. Otherwise, we love hearing from you and we would love to hear from you at any time. I just want to throw out there, we got our first email from someone we don't personally know recently. I'm so excited. And if you are listening to this right now, uh, dear listener, I really am uh, in the process of checking out your request and it will go on the list, I promise. We promise we will talk about it. Um, Thank you for listening, guys, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.